Good morning, Covenant family. Um, I wanted to start um, by just, first of all, thanking uh, you for two reasons. Thank you for putting up with us. Uh, as Pastor Jones has said on numerous occasions, this is weird. This is my first time live streaming. So thank you with, for your patience with me as I flub my way through this. Um, it's, it's just odd being in, in the uh, Welcome Center. Uh, just a second ago, I, I, I bumped into the uh, to the water fountain, and my sermon is now wet. And um, and uh, I can't see you as as you know, but I can watch you guys um, watching me, and I'm creating an infinite loop, I think, right now. Um, but uh, I'm going to put that down before someone thinks to text me. Um, but this morning we are we are, and the second thing I wanted to thank you about. Um, I want to thank you for all your prayers, all the, the ways that you all have shown love to the Lord by showing love to your neighbors. Um, these last couple weeks have been uh, really hard for uh, our community. It's been encouraging for me to see the prayers, even for those who, who can't get out because of compromised systems or uh, just the, the, the quarantine. It's been encouraging for me to see how many prayers, uh, how many uh, volunteers who've come out uh, to share the love of Christ uh, with our neighbors and with our body. So uh, thank you. Thanks for all that you're doing in that. Uh, I thought it would be appropriate for us to spend some time thinking about uh, what God says uh, about anxiety and worry in light of everything that's going on. This was before the tornado hit that I was thinking about uh, sharing from God's word in Matthew chapter 6. Um, so I think um, as we kind of prepare our hearts for it, I want to encourage you um, that if you have any questions that, since this is such a broad and large topic, if there are particular struggles that you're in, going through with anxiety, uh, please uh, email me or email one of your, your pastors here. Uh, give us an opportunity to sit down and talk with you directly. Um, but we're going to talk broadly, in, in a sense, about um, how the Lord encourages us to not be anxious. Uh, so little theologians, for those of you who are crawling on your parents' lap right now or um, trying to sit still, uh, thank you for, for being uh, attentive this morning. Um, I would ask that you would draw something, if your parents allow it, uh, draw something that makes you feel safe. Uh, what are some things that you hold on to, that you cling to, that make you feel safe? It might be if you're a really little one, a blanket or a, a stuffed animal that you uh, go to bed with at night. For some of you bigger uh, theologians, it might be something like a bike helmet or a seatbelt uh, or something like a castle. Um, if you want to draw a big castle, something that might protect you and keep you safe. Um, and parents as well, if you think of things that you would like to, to draw. Uh, I'm actually, I haven't asked Crystal about this, but if you would share those drawings, if you take pictures of them and email them to Crystal C. Middleton at cpcchat.org, uh, I'd love to see them. I'd love to have them uploaded on our Instagram page. Um, we can share with one another uh, things that make us feel safe. Uh, but this morning, we're, we're really not even talking simply about safety or worry. We're talking about the kingdom of God. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. It's about our king, and it's about the values of the kingdom, uh, values and, and ways to live as citizens in the kingdom of God. And so uh, this morning, even as we think about worry, we're thinking of in, in context of, of what it means to follow our good king, uh, our gracious king, as, as citizens in a different kind of kingdom than uh, the world we often think of, 
Um, so if you turn uh, in your Bibles or if you are looking down below, uh, let me read to us from our passage from Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. It says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, not about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his life, a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Would you pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, through your word today, would you help us to know your faithful love in the midst of our desire to care for those around us, in the midst of a time when we feel our anxieties perhaps more, more palatably, would you help us to live faithfully in your world that does feel outside and is outside of our control? But may we rest and know that we belong to you and that you are very much in control. Bless our time in your word now, we pray, for we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, after World War II, uh, during the 1950s and the 1960s, uh, mental health professionals uh, categorized this as a age of anxiety. I mean, we can imagine that um, coming out of World War II, um, the Cold War beginning, and, uh, and there was a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear that was happening in people's lives. Um, the predominant mental health issue of the day uh, was labeled as anxiety, and mental health professionals uh, sought everything that they could do, uh, new therapies, new medications, new ways of handling anxiety uh, as a way of addressing what they felt was the overwhelming issue. And they, they titled it an age of anxiety. And, uh, and yet, despite that time, from the time of the end of the World War II, even to today, uh, the best efforts of our mental health professionals, uh, the most advanced of technologies, uh, the most uh, cleverest or deepest understanding of our human psyche or of the neurology of the brain, uh, we still live in a world that's filled with anxiety. 
There was a study done last year in 2019 uh, about the United States having one of the highest rates of anxiety worldwide. And one of the factors that they shared was that uh, the, the effect of what social media and, and technology has actually done to heighten uh, our anxiety. We're now consumed with a desire to check our phones constantly. We're inundated uh, with a flood of information that's very overwhelming. It's anxiety producing. Uh, we, we constantly need to know, and the knowledge that we do have, um, it, it, it doesn't stay in our brains. It, it's something that, that constantly is moving, constantly active, and we're, it produces anxiety. Um, and beyond that, we, we live in a world of social expectations where things are even heightened, where our lives have to look perfect on social media or, or, or to others. Um, uh, pictures, uh, parties, things that we're doing, we constantly are updating to show that we look a particular way, that uh, we are a particular way, and it produces more and more anxiety. 2019 alone, uh, close to 47 million people were diagnosed with an actual anxiety disorder, uh, let alone the rest of us who suffer just from daily anxieties. Um, and that's that's just in 2019. Uh, we live in this world of worry. Now, today, uh, even now, we live in a world of pandemic. Uh, we're on high alert. Uh, will I get sick? Should I go to the store? Um, do I need to take a shower every time I get home from the store? Will I be able to find and purchase toilet paper? I mean, that's not something I thought we'd have to do in 2019, is search for toilet paper. And then on top of that, our, our community's been struck by a, a, a tremendous tornado disaster and subsequent storms that have come that make us wonder, uh, is the insurance company going to cover the damage? Uh, will the tarp hold back water? Will my heirlooms, my family treasures be ruined? And even some of us, and I've seen this <laughs> quite a bit on social media, some of us are looking beyond the quarantine. We're looking at the economy. And we're wondering, will we lose our jobs? Or we've already lost our jobs, and we're wondering, will I find a job? Or even beyond that, as, as employers, some of us are asking, you know, will I have to lay off family members or, or workers? Will my retirement sustain me? Will I be able to continue to live uh, the way that I, I've been living? It's, it's very easy for us to understand that our lives are filled with great anxiety. So we have to ask the question, what exactly is anxiety? What do we mean by when we talk about anxiety? What does Jesus mean by anxiety? Last Tuesday, I shared a video uh, that described four different words that get translated into English as anxiety uh, from the Greek text. And uh, it's important for us to understand that each of them has their own nuance and there's different kinds of anxieties that we live by. And this morning, we're, we're really wanting to zone in on Matthew 25, uh, 6, 25 through 34 for what Jesus means when he talks about anxiety. And so uh, if you look at, at verse 25 uh, in, in the passage, uh, this is a particular section that begins uh, with the word, therefore, and, and, and the verse says this, it says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or what about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 
Well, the first thing we have to understand uh, about this passage um, and, and about what Jesus is referring to about anxiety, uh, and he uses this word six times in this short section, so this is a theme that he wants us to understand, um, is that these, this form of anxiety is tied to the previous section. It begins with that word, therefore. Uh, therefore moves us into verse 24, backs us into verse 34, and Jesus is challenging us to see that in our lives there are two potential masters. Uh, there's God as our master that we can serve, or there is what the ESV translates as money. Uh, this is what the verse says in verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the, one, the other. You cannot serve God and money. But that word money is what we often think of, um, is, or we often use or translate that word as money, but it really doesn't mean money. Um, that word is mammon, and it's a much broader term. It's, it literally translates more from the Hebrew, that, that which we, we put our trust, or the trusted thing. Um, it, it, it normally is money, which is why the translators tend to put money there. Uh, but it's more encompassing than money. It's that which we put our, our trust in, our full trust. Mammon produces anxiety for us because mammon is not reliable. It has no real power. We labor and we strive for our trusted thing, for our mammon, believing it will give us security, especially in times of great trouble. We live in an uncontrollable world. So often it's financial security. Sometimes it's our reputations. Sometimes it can even be seen, being seen as wise in another person's eyes. And while a number of these things are good things, when they become our trusted thing, when they become mammon, they take hold of our lives. And they let us down when trouble comes. To understand the depth of it, we might ask the question, what is it that we put in our lives that if all else fails, I can still have this to hold fast to? What's our safety net? Well, you can see that it's more than just a thing. It's actually our heart's motivation. Heart's motivation that comes out in subtle ways. Sometimes we see it when we're constantly checking our phones because we're looking for that next email. Sometimes it's in a moment of anger or frustration because something's not going our way. Sometimes it's in a despairing remark or sarcastic remark to a friend. Jesus is teaching that we would not be anxious through this prohibitive do not be anxious so that we would see our Heavenly Father clearly as our sole security. That trusting in Him leads to life. But trusting in mammon leads to great woe, leads to great worry and anxiety. And this is why uh, the heart of the issue tells us that experts in technology or our understanding of the human condition or our neurosis can't ultimately uh, remove the anxiety from our, our lives. 
The only thing that can remove it is as we grow in our walk with Christ, we become more aware of what it is we really trust, and we repent and turn and place our trust in our Heavenly Father. Now, I do need to clarify one thing. Because of the fall, the chemistry in our brains have been affected by the curse and decay. And, and one thing that, that God, one way in which God has shown grace and mercy to this generation in particular is to provide medication to relieve or assist with very severe anxiety. And uh, this can be a level of brokenness in our bodies and minds that chemically could be altered and can be assisted through medication. And that's not really what Jesus is, is, is talking about in this teaching. Jesus is focusing on a particular form of anxiety that flows from our heart, where we place our values and our understanding of success, our hope in the future, in mammon, in a trusted thing that's not our Heavenly Father. So our response must be to cast aside our worry So how do we cast aside our worry? Well, we look to the faithful provision of our Heavenly Father. There's three three areas I want us to see. I hope these are able to be shown. (laughs) Um, First, our, our Heavenly Father knows our troubles. Our Heavenly Father provides for our needs. And third, our Heavenly Father conforms our lives to his will. Let's look at this. It's beginning in, 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 uh, in, in that first uh, main point. Our Heavenly Father knows our troubles. We're going to jump around the passage a little bit this morning. But if we look in verse 34, it says, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Our Heavenly Father knows our troubles. He knows what the pandemic is doing and how exhausting it is. He knows that many of you are having to work extra hours, sometimes in very dangerous places, where you put yourself at risk of being infected of the coronavirus. He knows that it's extremely exhausting for for parents who have now had to turn into professional teachers, watching your children all day, every day, for seven days straight with no end really in sight. Some of you are just emotionally exhausted, living apart from the normal comforts, from entertainment. Perhaps you've cleaned your house, your yard is looking pristine, you're exhausted because you are wondering what's left to do. You can't have friends over, you can't turn on the television, you're exhausted from the endurance of being isolated. You need to know We all need to know that our Heavenly Father knows our pain. He doesn't dismiss it. He loves us in the midst of it. And that's what's being seen in verse 34. Jesus doesn't make light of our troubles or our exhaustion. He acknowledges them. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. See, our Heavenly Father doesn't minimize what we go through. And Jesus is saying here that he knows what it's like to have a day filled with trouble He, after all, is the man of sorrows. He's acquainted with our griefs. He knows that it's filled with exhaustion, and he doesn't dismiss it or minimize it. And he instructs us not to compound our troubles by dwelling on what future trouble might be. 
You know, I, I, I get sometimes con, uh, too many lists. <laughs> this last few weeks, I have been developing lists constantly, lists of those who've been affected, lists of those without power, lists of those who need a meal, list of volunteers, list of work crews. I mean, I could go on and on. In fact, I've needed Nikki and Tony to, to help me figure out how to maintain lists. And, and in all of my uh, desire to help, I know that my limitations prohibit me from actually caring for people in the way that I need to. But that's not the way it is with our Heavenly Father. He doesn't need a series of lists. He knows us completely. He knows every hair on our head. And he holds fast every part of our lives. He is in sovereign control. And by his power and his care, he knows exactly what we need. There is no list making with our Heavenly Father because he knows us completely. He knows his world and beyond that, he knows that he sent a savior into this world. One in whom the prophet Isaiah foretold. And in Isaiah 42, verses 3 and 4, that servant of the Lord would, would do this. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice he will not faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. God will not destroy a faintly burning wick. He won't quench uh, a, a fire that's, that's fading in our hearts and our lives because of exhaustion. In fact, he doesn't grow faint or weary. He is not discouraged in the face of our troubles. And so Jesus tells us not to worry about tomorrow. To focus on, on, on the knowledge of our Heavenly Father's love and knowledge of us. There are likely hard things to come. We will face additional troubles. And perhaps our anxieties will even help us understand what we have put as a trusted thing in our hearts. Perhaps knowing troubles helps us identify anxieties or see anxieties in our lives. And that drives us to him. It drives us in prayer and in repentance and in self-reflection into his word. This is what your pastors were encouraging you when the quarantine first started. This is a time for us where we get to spend time in deep repentance and prayer. Instead of worry dwelling on, on, on the knowledge of our Heavenly Father, how he holds all things together. Help us to see. It helps us to see and resist the trusted things, the mammon in our lives in the times of trouble. Otherwise, one of two things will happen, or two things will happen. We'll continue to be led down a road of anxiety and fear, and we'll become consumed with ourselves. Or we'll be distracted from truly loving God and our neighbors, his mission in the world. So, so much we can be consumed with our trusted things that we lose sight of our true purpose, which is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbors. And so what do we do? We cling to Jesus in the knowledge of our Heavenly Father that he holds all things together and that he knows exactly what you need.
And that leads us to the second thing. Not only does he know what we need, he actually provides for our needs. Our Heavenly Father provides for our needs. Going back to the beginning verse in verse 24, the section uh, begins on anxiety with a command. Jesus actually tells us, he commands us, do not be anxious about your life. And it's a command that we need clarity on uh, because we live in a world where we have this thing called Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And, uh, and we, we think we know what life is about based upon our needs. Uh, and, and, and it has different layers to what uh, an individual needs uh, in order to survive and thrive in the world. And Jesus goes right after that base need in Maslow's hierarchy. He goes right for food and clothing. Uh, the, the body's needs are the most basest, simplest level of needs. It's what we prioritize above everything else. Uh, it's why we start looking for work when we, we get independent from our parents. It's to simply feed and clothe ourselves. Uh, but if you look at me with me in verse 25, uh, in verse, the second part of it in B, uh, Jesus clarifies that life is, is defined by something completely different than our base needs. He says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, Jesus doesn't define what he means by life here, but he does challenge our understanding of how we understand what life is. He's challenging this Maslow's hierarchy of needs. He's not saying that the base need that we often think of is, our, is, our, uh, is what makes life uh, livable. But he ties it in with an illustration. Look at the birds of the air, verse 26. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Jesus grounds the real life as a provision, as, as a, the value that his Father, our heavenly Father, gives to us. Are you not of more value than they? You see, the value is demonstrated not in what the sparrows or the birds or, the, or, or us as listeners uh, have. It's valued in by what the Father's great provision is. The Heavenly Father provides for our most base needs. And he gives us more than just daily food, daily bread. And this is where Jesus describes himself uh, as the fullness of the provision of the Father. Uh, if manna was our greatest need, he'd provide it. He's done it to the Israelites before. But, but think on John 6, in verses 35 and 48, Jesus says that he is the bread of life. And in John eleven twenty five, 25, he is the resurrection and the life. Consider for a moment that Jesus, he is our life. That it's his work that, that ties us to something that we truly need, the separation between our Heavenly Father. That, that if we're connected, if we belong and have been united to, our, our, uh, to, to Jesus, we have a life that, that can't be taken away by a pandemic or a disaster. Real liveliness can be lived out in disaster and in a pandemic and in the struggles of the economy. Real life begins and, and ends with Jesus and our relationship and union to him. Even as Pastor Molinax prayed that hideable catechism that we belong body and soul and life and in death, not to ourselves, but to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That belonging is life. 
And we need to hold fast to that union, that that drives us in the midst of our, our, our great struggles and great trouble. Uh, think about this in verse 28b and 29 of our passage. Uh, Jesus uses a second illustration. He says, Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now notice the difference of what, what's the lilies and Solomon. What, what, what's the difference between the two of them? The lilies don't dress themselves. Solomon does. Solomon, who is perhaps one of the richest people in Israel's history, who could afford to purchase the greatest of clothing, Solomon could not dress himself in a way that these lilies were dressed by God. You see, the lilies don't toil or spin trying to gain a beauty for themselves. They're given beauty because God is their creator. Our Father in heaven provides better things for you than you can provide for yourself. And you must know that your creator has given you more value and beauty than you can acquire by the work of your own hands. This is what separates Gentiles from citizens in the kingdom of God, Jesus continues. Because those who are citizens of the kingdom of God are recipients of of their father's provision. They have a different outlook because their hope in the present circumstances is not in the right future outcomes of what will happen. It's not in the right kind of insurance coverage or the right kind of job. It's not the right kind of rest from weariness. It's the present belonging to our God. John Calvin wrote this in one of his commentaries. He said, The true and proper proof of our hope consists in this, that when things are so confused that the heavens seem to fall with great violence and the earth to move out of its place and the mountains to be torn up from their very foundations, we nevertheless continue to preserve and maintain calmness and tranquility of heart. It is an easy matter to manifest the appearance of great confidence so long as that we are not placed in imminent danger. But if, in the midst of general crash of the whole world, our minds continue undisturbed and free of trouble, this is an evident proof that we attribute to the power of God the honor which belongs to him. Do you hear what he's saying? For those of us who, who feel and experience the peace of knowing that union of Christ, that's a work of God. And it gives honor and testimony to our King to rest in Him. You see, we rest and, and resist anxiety when we dwell on the one who is greater than the pandemic, who is greater on the disaster than the disaster, who is the one who is anxiety-free. There is no anxiety in God. And so Jesus continues in verse 27, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his lifespan? And Jesus is telling us instead of flooding our minds with thoughts of what is to come, to slow down, to stop and not contemplate future trouble, but to dwell on the, the king who reigns on high, the one whose loving care and sovereign power is over all. We must replace the thoughts of future fear and future anxiety with thoughts of our king. 
of the one who reigns, of the one who doesn't experience anxiety. And even more than that, more than just knowing that our Heavenly Father provides for our needs, we also see that our Heavenly Father conforms our lives to his will. Take a moment, even later today or this week, to read through the Beatitudes, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Look through the the value systems, the poor in spirit, the meek. Dwell on what it means to, to have our whole conception of reality changed to being dependent upon our Heavenly Father. Because what God is often doing in our midst, one redemptive way he uses disasters is to reveal to us what we're clinging to in our livelihood. This is a formative work of God. Because disaster reveals to us what we put our hope in. And what's really fundamentally important to us. What has become mammon. And God uses these hard things in our lives to refine us so that through our loss we might know more of God's faithful love. And so that through the loss we might become more aligned with his values, with his purpose in our lives. None of us would seek to be bankrupt. But would we seek to be poor in spirit? Would we seek to be that dependent upon the work of Christ that it would compel and shape who we are so that our conversations with our neighbors are different? They're not grounded in our greatness. They're grounded in the greatness of God. I mean, even disaster can be lurked or seen through this lens of God's faithfulness to create a fuller or more more, uh, clear picture of our dependency as his people upon him. And that that might contribute to a greater renown of our God who provides. And we have to dwell and spend time seeing how God is conforming us to his will. How he's transforming us. And it culminates here in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. All of God's faithful love and gracious provision are formative to change you, to conform you to himself. God's grace isn't for the sole purpose of blessing you. It's to enable you to be a blessing to others, to proclaim in thought, word, and deed your dependence and his mercy and grace. Just as Jesus does not, does not dismiss our trouble, he also never advocates for an apathy of just simply receiving care. He calls us to do this, to seek first the kingdom, to seek first our Father's righteousness. We seek it by a dethronement of mammon in our lives. We seek it by seeking out the kingship, the lordship, the reign of Christ. Dan Doriani, in one of his commentaries, has a list of things that this means. It means, and and I'll add these at the preface, uh, but proclaiming his kingdom, conforming to his reign, means we check in with those of our neighbors who are in need. It means mowing someone's yard when they can't. 
It means participating in prayer and presence in recovery efforts. And then these are Doriani's uh, additional ones. It means trusting in the Lord enough to be vulnerable about your needs and with others. Allowing the Lord to care for you through the provision of his church. It means being wise with information so that we, would, we are patient with our tongues and gracious with our words. It also means separately forgiving those who've hurt us even when we still are hurt. It means seeking reconciliation even when there's no grace from that other person. Even though we are disabled by a quarantine and the damages of the storm, there's so much that can be done for the kingdom of God. Nothing can stop the growth of his kingdom. As we seek to love our heavenly father, we seek to love our neighbors. Make no mistake, the kingdom of God is growing. The gates of hell cannot prevail its growth or prevent its growth. So citizens of that great kingdom, trust in your king. Be comforted into his image through this time of trouble. Know that he knows your trouble. Know that he provides in your greatest of needs. And know that he will not stop growing his kingdom in and through us even now. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. Grant us a confident hope in your faithful love and provision that we might conform ourselves to what you are doing in your world. Bless us this week that we might know that although we may lose our lives for your sake, in you we find real life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.